1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you, all can, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Hitton. And some of that is uncomfortable reading, isn't it? There's definitely an ouch moment there over the verses that talk about the role of women in church we're going to need to come on to that uh, but i want us to think about the passage as a whole before we start to work through the details a few weeks ago when we looked at um, 1 corinthians chapter 12 we asked what does it mean to be spiritual what does a spiritual person look like well paul answers that question in terms of how a spirit-filled person interacts with their christian brothers and sisters and so over the last couple of weeks we've been looking more and more at um, what a spirit-filled church looks like i wonder how you'd answer that question what does a spirit-filled church look like it's an and a spirit-filled church There's surprisingly little in the Bible to tell us exactly what uh, a church service, a church gathering like this should look like. We aren't given a particular structure, an order of service. We aren't given a liturgy, specific words that we must say. We aren't told how much should be planned and how much should be spontaneous or what types of songs we should sing. And in many ways, all of that is, is a great thing. We're free to work out in our context, in our culture, um, the best way of using our times together. 
Today's Bible passage is one of the very few places where we're given clues as to what our gatherings might look like. But even here, we need to remember that 1 Corinthians was uh, was called an occasional letter. It was written for a particular occasion or context. So we need to read carefully to work out what the principles are and then think about how it might apply in our context. And the first big principle is in the first verse we read And it's this, speak up to build up. Have a look again at verse 26 of our passage. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. The church service is meant to be a little bit like one of our bring and share lunches. Everyone brings something different. A meat dish maybe, a salad, something to drink, and it all contributes to the whole. There should be a variety of people contributing to the life of the church. It echoes the metaphor of the body back in chapter 12 where Paul emphasises that we're not all ears, we're not all eyes, each part of the body is different, each contributes something different to the life and health of the body. In some churches, the pastor does everything. He leads the service, he reads the Bible, he prays the prayers, he preaches the sermon. 1 Corinthians suggests that's not a very healthy pattern. We should try to have different people involved in the life of our church. On any given Sunday, you should see a variety of different people contributing. It sounds like the services in Corinth might have been quite spontaneous. Uh, Here at St Anne's we tend to plan in advance what each person is going to contribute, at least in this main morning service. And that's just a function of our size as well as our culture. In a group of 100 or so people, um, I think that for most British people especially, um, we'd feel intimidated if we were put on the spot and maybe we wouldn't say anything and then our gatherings might be dominated by the few people who feel confident to speak up. We might end up with less variety and not more. The evening service, by the way, is a lot smaller, as I've already said, Um, so we usually have a discussion time to ask questions or maybe bring a word of prophecy, sharing an insight or an application. The dynamics of this main service mean that our times together before and after are particularly important. You might not be able to say or do something up front in the service, but everyone has a chance to encourage one another afterwards. That's why we serve tea and coffee on a Sunday morning, not because we think we're going to be thirsty, but to encourage people to stay and interact with each other. That's part of our time together, our ministry Uh, to one another and it's not just on Sundays we'd love everyone to be involved with a small group during the week which is based entirely around people interacting with each other at the monthly prayer meetings we try to hear from different people especially in sharing a devotion you might call it a prophecy at the start of the prayer meeting the aim of all of this is to build one another up in the faith we need one another Our aim isn't to show off our knowledge or our gifts, but to help one another understand and digest and put into practice what God is saying to us. 
Actually, I think there's lots of this that is going on here at St Anne's. There are maybe 50 people um, involved in small groups each week. Jay tells me there are 30 people, more than 30, with safeguarding responsibilities. That means they have a role of regular teaching or leadership. Now, that sounds pretty healthy to me. A church needs a variety of people to contribute, not just a few voices dominating. So there are lots of opportunities for each member of the body um, to speak up. If you just come for the start of a Sunday service and then you rush off straight away afterwards, or even you only ever join online, then you're not getting the full experience of membership of the church family. You're missing out, but also we're missing out because we're not getting to hear your questions, your contributions, your insights. Maybe the first thing you need to do is turn up to speak up. And then when you do turn up, make sure you speak up. You might feel you don't have much to say. Other people know more than you do. You think all you've got are silly questions. But actually you can be sure someone else will have the same silly question and you're doing them a favour by asking it. Or maybe it isn't a silly question at all. Often the best insights come from people who are new to Christian things looking at things from a fresh perspective, bringing a different light uh, to things that some of us who have been around longer have never thought about before. So turn up, not just to the hour or so that we're in a formal service together, but to conversations before and after, and to your small group, and to the prayer meeting, and other opportunities. And when you turn up, speak up to build up. The rest of today's passage is really geared to making sure that happens in healthy ways. You see, in order to, for everyone's voices to be heard, it means that people sometimes need to hold back. Those who are quieter, on the edge, or lack confidence need to be encouraged to speak up, to build up, but others need to be told, keep quiet to avoid a riot. Seems like the church in Corinth was in danger of disorder, chaos. And so Paul runs through three situations in particular where he wants people to hold back. In each case, he literally says that people need to be silent. In verses 27 and 28, he says that if people speak in tongues, that is, they miraculously speak a language they haven't learnt, if there's no interpreter, they should keep quiet, or literally, they should be silent. Now, I'm not going to go into that in detail today. You can listen back to Robin's sermon from last week um, if you missed it. But the basic point is that our public worship like this should be intelligible. We should be able to understand it. And so if someone has a gift of speaking an unlearned language, they should hold back in a public gathering like this unless someone can interpret what they're saying. Otherwise, it's just for them and God alone. They're able to control it. It's not that they're being taken over by an irresistible um, uh, utterance. Using the gift of tongues in front of others when there's no interpretation is just showing off. It does no good to anyone. In verse 29, Paul turns to speak about prophecy. Again, Robin defined 
prophecy last week, he said it's speaking to people with special understanding to build them up. Here we see more clearly still that it's a bit different to the authoritative Old Testament, thus says the Lord kind of prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or some of these people. In the New Testament, prophecy is something that needs to be weighed carefully to see whether it's right or not. That's here in this passage, but also in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, reject every form of evil. Just because someone says that their insight or application comes from God, maybe they say it with great confidence, doesn't mean it's true. It needs to be tested. In fact, in 1 John 4, we're told, test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. The kind of authority the Old Testament prophets had when they said, thus says the Lord, with great authority, is actually more like the authority that the New Testament apostles had. Do you see down in verse 37 of our passage, Paul says, if anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. That's the authoritative word, the message of the apostle. In the list of gifts back at the end of chapter 12 and also in Ephesians 4, he lists apostles first and then second prophets, third teachers and so on. So New Testament prophecy is something that needs to be weighed carefully. And his particular point here is that no one should just hold forth unchallenged. Have a look down, verse 29. It says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Literally, they should be silent. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So in our discussions over tea and coffee, or during the discussion time in the evening service, or in our small groups, we shouldn't find one or two characters dominating the discussion. Some of us need to be encouraged to speak up, to build up. Others of us are more confident and more vocal, and we need to be encouraged to keep quiet to avoid a riot. This is something we've needed to work on at our uh, Thursday afternoon men's group. We've got some characters in the group who are quite confident, and uh, let's say they are external processors. We've got others who process things maybe more slowly and are less confident. And so we need to encourage some to hold back and allow space for others to speak up. In fact, we remind each other that we've got one mouth and two ears, and we should use them in proportion. Charles has even got a little visual aid that he waves uh, when we need reminding. Now, the reason for all this holding back is in verse 33. Did you see there? God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. You see, the pattern of our worship 
should reflect the character of our God. God is a God of peace, or we might say harmony. And so our worship gatherings, our church, should be churches of peace and harmony. So speaking in tongues, prophecy, the third of the situations where people need to hold back is in verses 34 and 35 where he talks about women in church. And again we have that same word, silent, translated differently earlier in the passage, but it's the same word throughout. It sounds pretty harsh and definite to us. It's quite shocking for us to read, isn't it? Verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. If we weren't committed to the word of God, it would be very easy to skip over verses like these, wouldn't it? But what are we to make of it? Well, the first thing to say is that although it seems quite absolute, as it's put here in these verses, only a page earlier, Paul has seemed to imply that women do have a role of prophesying and praying in the gathering of the church. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he said that they just need to make sure that they're appropriately feminine when they do that in the culture of the time, wearing a head covering or at least having longer hair. And actually, if he meant something a bit less definite than it sounds here, that would fit with what he's been saying about tongues and about prophecies. He didn't say never to speak in tongues, only to keep silence in a public gathering if there's no interpretation. He didn't say never to prophesy, just to give way to one another and not dominate the discussion. Maybe it's similar with women in church. He doesn't mean they should literally be completely silent, but that they should hold back. Those who are married can talk to their husbands at home. Maybe he's particularly got in mind the role of weighing prophecy. Women can be relieved of the responsibility of determining which words of prophecy can be trusted and authoritative. It's the role of men to shoulder that kind of responsibility in church life. And I think it can be helpful to, to, to think some more about the situation that Paul might be writing into. You see, I said at the beginning that 1 Corinthians is an occasional letter. It's written for a specific um, occasion and context. In fact, I think it's written to correct some unhealthy practices. We saw earlier in the letter that there seem to be some super spiritual women who are acting as if they aren't married. They've stopped sleeping with their husbands. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that they should keep up sexual relations with their husbands rather than get carried away by trying to be super spiritual. Maybe here in chapter 14 it's a similar situation where super spiritual women are abandoning good order and gender roles in family and the church where men have particular responsibility and so they're being insubordinate. There's a danger of chaos and disorder as they contradict their husbands or object to what's being taught in the public gathering. However exactly we take these verses, it's not easy. I think it does encourage women to interact in church in a feminine way. It might mean that insights are offered less assertively and more gently. It might be that extra trouble is taken um, not to contradict others. 
It might be that you hold back from the weighing of prophecies to let men shoulder that burden. Maybe we can use our prophecy time over tea and coffee um, to share further insights and you can tell me um, what you think. I think that principle of trying to work out what's going on in Corinth can be helpful more generally. You see, we read a passage like this, especially that opening verse, and don't you think, I wish our church could be a bit more like the church in Corinth. Have you ever thought that? A bit more spiritual. Wouldn't it be great to see lots of different people contributing in all sorts of different ways, especially to see the more obviously supernatural gifts being practiced? But actually, when we think about what's going on in Corinth, we realise that Paul is writing to correct them. We're not meant to want to become more Corinthian. Corinthian worship is a mess. It's denying the God of peace. It's in danger of chaos and disorder. It sounds like the church in Corinth had people babbling in all sorts of different languages and saying things that no one had the slightest idea what they were talking about. It seems like people were confidently speaking words of prophecy and dominating discussion with no testing to see whether their insights really were from God's. Other people couldn't get a word in edgeways. And their women, who thought of themselves as so spiritual, were actually noisy and disrespectful in the way they expressed their opinions, contradicted their husbands, made a nuisance of themselves in church. 1 Corinthians 14 says that the last thing a spirit-filled church should want to do is become more Corinthian. So what should a spirit-filled church look like? Well, it should be a beautiful place of harmony and mutual care. It should be a place of of order where everyone has a chance to say something and where no one dominates where people gladly restrain their spiritual gifts for the sake of the wider body a place where visitors can see remarkable harmony and functioning loving relationships and want to be part of it a place where everyone is being built up together into a healthy body the whole section comes to a, to a fitting conclusion in verses 39 and 40. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. It's an attractive picture, isn't it? And actually, I think St. Anne's is not a bad example of it interpreted for our size and our context. I'm sure there are all sorts of tweaks and changes we can make, things we could do better. Have a chat about that over coffee. Let me know what you think we can improve. But I hope this is broadly your experience of church at St Anne's. I hope if you're a visitor or on the fringe, today's teaching, and as you see it lived out in our life as a church, you find that it's something you want to be more a part of. 
Maybe you start sticking around um, to chat over coffee. Maybe you can join a small group or return to a small group or offer to share a devotion at the prayer meeting. As usual, there are some questions at the bottom of the outline on your sheet um, for you to think through and to digest. Maybe you can start by talking to someone near you about your responses to those questions after the service today. If you have particular insights, please share them with me um, or drop me a note during the week. For now, let me lead us in prayer. Paul writes, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. We thank you, dear Lord God, for the privilege it is to be part of one body together. As we reflect on this teaching, some of it very challenging, We ask, Lord God, that you would be shaping us and changing us individually and together to be more united, more loving, that you'd show each of us how we can contribute to the building up of the body in living out our life of worship together in reflection of the God of peace. In Jesus' name.